today's podcast is a really good one. Gilbert Arenas, just telling stories, um, all-time openness on this podcast. And with the quarterback movement, the latest ones, we'll talk about that with Shil Kapadia, what to expect, but also kind of looking at handicapping the depth in the AFC versus the NFC at the quarterback position and life advice. It's the Ryan Rosillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. $5 doesn't get you what it used to get you. I asked for change the other day. The guy gave me back four. Introducing Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps. In your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. Ever heard of it? You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. I want to start with an open on the quarterback depth in the AFC and kind of play it out here because I really, I don't know that I have it down definitively because I think a lot like how Bill and I on a Sunday pod had talked about our top 20, top five players, which I think most people got for some, they just were obsessed with the idea that we didn't know what we were doing. And that was the whole point is that there's all these players names that get thrown around all the time. And depending on which way the wind is blowing that week, especially in the NFL, the idea of like a top five quarterback there's probably 10 to 12 guys that you'll hear throughout a season mentioned as the top five quarterback. And it's just, it's just not true. There's <laughs> if, if anything, maybe you should just say, Hey, this is what we think the top tier is. And this is how many guys there are. Cause I actually think in the NBA, it might be one through six, seven and eight, but it actually only might be like one, two and three, um, which is really a moving target depending on however you identify or define these things yourself. So whenever I think about the NBA, it was kind of funny because Bill and I were going back and forth with it. And I'm like, every six months, I think I should come up with something towards the end of a regular season and then revisit that, compare it to the playoffs. Because after the playoffs, you feel stupid ever suggesting somebody that's won isn't higher than somebody who's lost. But then you go back to the next regular season and you're kind of like, all right, you know what? I have a little bit or I'm less emotionally influenced because of recent events. So with the AFC just loading up, whether it's grabbing Russell Wilson, um, Deshaun Watson staying in the conference, but now playing at some point for Cleveland, Matt Ryan coming over from Atlanta uh, to the Colts. So there's been a bit of a transition, but I, I don't know. I don't know if it's as egregious as it's been made out to be, but I think the selling of the argument, and again, we're going to check with Shil Kapadia on this because he's really good on all the quarterback stuff um, from the athletic. We've had him on a bunch of different times, but if you go top five guys that are at least in the conversation for top five guys, I think Mahomes, I think, look, anybody at this point that's saying Mahomes is outside of top five, I'm not sure you should be listening to him. People want to knock him a little bit because of this past year or losing the playoffs at home to Cincinnati. You can go ahead and do it. I'm probably not going to. Mahomes, I think Allen is right there. 
because Burrow goes on this run, it feels like you can't leave Burrow out. Um, we'll just put him down. And then Herbert, which is, he had moments of being like everybody's favorite. Well, everybody's expressive. A lot of people seem to be on that Herbert train there for a little while, but I'm not even saying that he should be outside of it. Lamar has had an incredible run. He's got an MVP, but it now feels like consensus is that Lamar is just not allowed to be in front of like another six or seven guys, which I think I'm okay with. Um, but then you throw in Russell Wilson, who comes over, but he's not top five at this point. We still haven't mentioned Rodgers. So what I think is happening here in the AFC is that you have a group of potential top fivers, right? That's really what it is. Not that this is one, two, four, and five in the NFL. It's definitive. We're all sure of it. It's that the AFC has more potential top fivers than the NFC does because the NFC has Rodgers. It has Brady. And, you know, Kyler's had some nice stretches, but he's fallen apart the last two years physically, and his last playoff game was atrocious, so we can't do that. Um, Stafford just won a Super Bowl, but nobody's going to put him in the top five. And then the rest of the options are after Dak has like a two- or three-week stretch of averaging 380 yards and putting up huge points. Their home road splits last year were crazy. But Dak's going to have some stretch, I imagine, at some point that he's going to put up huge numbers. And somebody on TV is going to say he's a top-five guy. He's not. There's no room. There's just no room for him here. So it's Rodgers. It's Brady. It's not Cousins. You know, Fields is TBD. I think the NFC also has more meh quarterbacks. Where you go, Wentz, eh. Mac Jones is in the AFC. That's Daniel Jones, looking at my notes here. Um, you know, I think we all know how that one's going to end. Fields, too early. Goff, meh. Winston, meh. Atlanta, TBD. Carolina, good luck. Um, Jimmy, yeah, meh. Drew Locke, you getting excited yet, folks, in Seattle? Probably not. Where, if you take it back to the AFC, you go, okay, Josh Allen, awesome. Um, Tua, Wilson, Mack, not all in the same category, but you get the point. They're not in there. Um, I think people like Mitch Trubisky's stats and have forgotten that he just wasn't very good. Um, Tannehill's put up crazy numbers. I mean, some of the stuff that would be like top five numbers, we know that's aggressive and that's not the case. David Millis, who's probably a guy, I would say 50% of our audience forgets his name every now and then. And then you've got Carr and Wilson around at the rest of the AFC West. So the really, if I were to break this down, it's maybe seven AFC of the top 10, maybe six, six or seven, knowing that some of these names are going to be disappointing and some of these names are going to exceed our expectations. Um, and ultimately, yeah, I, mean, I think that's what it is. I think the AFC has a higher crop of guys at the very top that are in that argument for that first tier, however big that number is. Top five is the one we always assign to it, but it doesn't always make all that much sense because sometimes you have less and sometimes you have more. And that's where I think you're seeing this shift on top of the NFC having a lot of quarterbacks where it just doesn't really move the needle all that much. So yeah, the AFC depth is better. And the other part of this too that happens a lot, and I'm not being completely dismissive of it, but it happens where it's like, well, if you're in the AFC and you need a quarterback, hey man, you kind of need one no matter which which conference you're in. Like, do you think NFC teams now, because if you believe that, if you believe the motivation is, and sometimes it is the case if you're in a division and you've got to keep up with other people, but uh, it also seems to mean like 
The the opposite could be possibly true that there's an NFC team going, you know, we probably don't. Could we get a quarterback? Yeah, we could get one. Like Tuesday, they're sitting around the front office going, hey, should we get one? I'm like, dude, did you see the lack of depth around the top five? Do you hear Rosillo's opening the other day? We don't need to get one. Yeah, you're right. We don't need a quarterback. We're not in the AFC. I don't know. I think we say that too much. I think I think it happens. Yes, I think in the past, whether you want to talk SEC West football in the arms race, or I remember back in the day, the Red Sox trying to keep pace with the Yankees in the AL East because you're kind of looking at the division that you're in. Maybe the Padres are motivated to do what they've been doing the last couple of years because they're dealing with the Dodgers who never seem to care about how much they're spending. Yeah, I think there's some truth to that. But I don't think it's so excessive to now suggest that all these AFC teams are trying to figure out how to get a quarterback because the depth is so much better in the conference, which it is. But does that mean that you believe that some teams were like indifferent about improving the position prior to this? Right? You think the Colts were going, hey, should we get one? Should we get a quarterback? They're like, I don't know. Like, oh, Russell Wilson's on Denver? Yeah. Did you see the AFC North? Yeah. Okay, you know what? Let's get one. Let's go and get one. Um, and clearly they didn't want Baker and they wanted Matt Ryan. All right, we're going to talk with Sheila about this stuff and see what he thinks. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. It's like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time, said, do you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I didn't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. He's one of our favorites to talk NFL with, Shil Kapati of The Athletic. Okay, this was sort of the premise at the beginning because as the momentum of the AFC getting extra guys, even though, you know, look, Deshaun was still already in the AFC, but he stays in the AFC. You have the Matt Ryan part of it, you have Russell Wilson part of this. Um, Mitch Trubisky perhaps gets you excited, who knows, that now it's like, oh, all the quarterbacks are in the AFC. And so I went through it a little bit. It was kind of just out loud talking in an open. Usually there's a little bit more structure to it because I'm not sure of the definitive answer. So I threw this to you last night. Like if you looked at, say, the top 20 quarterbacks, how many are in the AFC? I don't think it's this 15 to 5 ratio. I think the premise that I, I've landed on is that the number of quarterbacks that could be top five quarterbacks could be considered of that that it is AFC heavy at the very, very top. So Chase, go any direction you want to go into. Yeah, this was a useful exercise. Thanks for giving me a little homework because I was with you. I've just been repeating, you know, oh, the AFC's loaded. And then I went through and I went through the 20 like you asked. And I got 12 in the AFC, eight in the NFC. It's not crazy. I think Brady coming back, you know, I know that's only one guy, but I think that was probably uh, a big factor. You've still got Rodgers, Brady, Stafford, and, you know, Dak I have in there uh, in the top 20, a couple lower tier guys. I, I do think the young 
quarterback talent. I mean, that's the big difference to me is if you're looking at like the next eight years or whatever, then it really, I do, uh, I think is stacked towards the AFC. I mean, Mahomes, Herbert, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Deshaun Lamar, like any of those guys could be the best quarterback. They, either any of those guys could win an MVP uh, in the next 10 years. So I'll still stick with the initial premise, but I do think you're right. If we're looking at 2022, it's not kind of as crazy as maybe some people, including myself, uh, may have made it seem. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I, I landed on. I think the NFC also has just a lot of people that people are like, oh, when are you getting replaced? Yeah, Kirk where- Cousins. Yeah, those types of guys. Absolutely. I mean, once you get it was funny doing this, like once I got to like, you know, 10, then I went through the next 10 and I'm like, all right, you you can order these guys uh, any way you want. I think if you talk to different teams, different ones would have different preferences, whether it's Derek Carr, Kurt Cousins, Matt Ryan. I mean, you could throw younger Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence in there. And so, yeah, I do think you're right. When you're looking at stability for a longer period of time, what is it in the NFC? It's like, Dak, you know, Dak Prescott and people probably have varying opinions on Prescott uh, as well, but it's not a long list there. No, that's it. That's exactly the point. Then it's the sexy names in the AFC. You know, it felt like it, people were saying like the top you know, 60, all 16 <laughs> starters are in the top 20, which is not true. Um, but there's just a lot like golf. You kind of go, is he the long term guy? You know, who knows? New Orleans still has problems, question marks and the rest of that division as well. I noticed you never mentioned Murray. Do you not have Kyler in your top 20 now? No, I do have him in my top 20, but there's so much. I mean, who knows what's going on in there? He might be in the AFC. If we talk this time next year, he might be playing in the AFC. I think he's the guy. If you're one of these teams, that's like, let's just accumulate some draft capital. Let's not do anything crazy this offseason. Maybe, you know, that thing gets really bad. They just gave extensions to the coach and the GM. Maybe that thing gets really bad in 2022. And he's someone we can trade for next offseason. Okay. All right. So if we go back to the top, my one of my least fav- favorite pieces of content that exists on the internet is people suggesting that somebody's better than Patrick Mahomes. Um, maybe you, maybe you've, I don't think I, I've read most of your stuff. I don't believe that you've gone down that dark road yet. Where are you with Mahomes in relation to anyone challenging him at the peak? Yeah, I still have him at the top. I mean, I think if, if you pulled every team and said you can have one player in the NFL and, and all the contracts are the same, by the way, I mean, you could make an argument like if you were doing the old, you know, trade asset column and the Chargers call the Chiefs. I mean, I still don't think the Chiefs do it, but in this hypothetical world and say, hey, but, you know, you can get Herbert on his rookie deal here or, or you're paying Mahomes what you're paying Mahomes. What do you want to do? So I think you can make that argument. But I mean, I don't know that it's like, the widest gap. I mean, the top is loaded. Mahomes, Herbert. We saw Josh Allen can go toe to toe with Mahomes in a game. I mean, Joe Burrow with the moves they've made, he could be there. So, you know, I would say Mahomes, Herbert, and Allen, maybe if I'm looking at like the next, uh, you know, long range. Now, I would throw Burrow in there. Some people might not, but those would probably be the four guys I put on kind of that separate plane than everybody else. Maybe I'm reading too much here. We just, that's why you come on, because that's how I have it, is I feel like four of the five of those AFC guys that we just mentioned. And I would admit as much as I love Burrow, it does it, it does it feel a little Super Bowl push-y to be including him in this list? Because I still would have Allen. I still think most people would have Herbert. Mahomes part of this. I'm not going to be dismissive of Rodgers because the guy's lit it up the last two years yeah. despite the playoff struggles. Um, I don't think Brady's ahead of some of the guys that we've mentioned here, but it's not like he's he's... He's not in the distance, right? I mean, this isn't this isn't that far away. So yeah, I, I think 
look, the Mahomes contract, by the way, too, as we've seen the new numbers come in in the last couple of guys, that contract yeah. I knew when it was signed for all the headlines of this is an absurd amount of money. It's actually, no, this is a great contract for the Chiefs. For what the cap will end up being and what the other comps are going to be, Mahomes' deal was going to be a terrific deal for them. Uh, give me give me the Russell Wilson arguments, because I've seen you make the arguments that this is a declining player the last year and a half, I would say. Um, some could be blamed on injuries, but I think the way I've read you is that you're also fairly open to the idea that he's still one of the better ones, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that's absolutely right. I think he's had it. I think it's fair to point out that the last two years, he has not been great. He's been a little bit up and what's, down. What's the scary number? What's the bad trend that you've seen from him? Because I know you've shared these numbers. What's the yeah, one that jumps out? Yeah, I mean, it's just that even if you just look at like EPA per play, like, you know, that that's probably the most telling quarterback stat. He's like middle of the pack uh, over the last two years. And, you know, I, I don't think it's it's one thing. There's uh, They've obviously had a philosophical clash, whether it's, um, you know, his inability to make those second reaction plays. Obviously, he's dealing with injuries. But to me, it's like a no-brainer move if you're Denver. I mean, he's still, at, what, 33 years old. And, and the thing about Russell Wilson, like, he's going to be out there. Like, he's taking this personally. Like, I battled with Pete Carroll for years, and now I'm getting my own thing. And I still have this, like it's personal accolades and it's winning like most athletes. That's not saying somebody's selfish that, that they want those personal accolades. And now he's like, I'm going to have this next chapter. I'm going to rub it in their face. I'm going to be making $50 million in three years. And I'm going to have like an amazing uh, second chat, final chapter here to my career. So I think there are pieces in place for him in Denver. I mean, we'll see with the coaching staff, but I think he's got enough uh, weapons there. I think he'll be motivated. I don't think he's declining to the level where I'm concerned that he's going to all of a sudden suck and this is going to be a disaster for them <laughs> in the next two years. So I, I would say I'm more bullish uh, on Wilson here in his next stop than most people. I don't blame any franchise for saying, hey, we've gotten it wrong with 10 starters since Peyton Manning. So let's just figure this thing out, even if it's not perfect. I am all for the transaction. And I do wonder if there's a bit of accounting, maybe not the right word, but it's the best way to describe it, where if this is a franchise that's potentially for sale, how how dumb the valuations of a franchise would be like if you have like in the NBA, I'll get like local ratings. We have a top five player. Look at this. And then they'll tack on like $500 because this player is under contract, right? And I'll go, wait, if you're buying a team, I don't know that a player should have <laughs> a half a billion dollars of the impact on what the purchase price would be. LeBron in Cleveland, yes, maybe. But like, there's other times where I go, I, don't, I think this number is just too big. But knowing that it does make a difference, that there is an impact there, I think the Broncos not only want to be better at the position, but I also think that they can factor that into whatever happens and what's a really underreported story with how weird the whole Denver ownership structure has been now for years. I mean, they're on it locally, yeah. but nationally, no one seems to care about how weird this whole deal has been with the trustee and, and everything that's involved. So I've always thought that, look, they want to win games, but I also think if they're looking to sell this team and having somebody like this under contract, it actually makes a little bit more sense too. But again, that's just me thinking out loud. Yeah, right. yeah, I, 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 yeah, I always thought it was weird too. I'm like, wait a minute, you're gonna like the the valuation of the entire franchise is based on like who the you know quarterback is over the next five years. Like that seemed to be short term thinking uh, to me. But you're right. I mean, the interest certainly with what they've watched for the last ten years and from watching Drew Lock and Teddy Bridgewater, uh, I'm sure that they're uh, they're juiced up to a, a different level now. Is Carr over under properly rated when you talk to teams? Uh, I would say properly. I don't think like we didn't mention him in that first, you know, thing we just did. I don't think anyone would put him in there, but I certainly would have him in the top 20. I mean, there's that tier of, I would say, Carr, Cousins, 
Matt Ryan. I mean, if you want to put Jimmy G in there, you could. There's probably like six, seven, eight guys there that you could put there. I think what Carr has going for him is it seems like his intangibles are very good. His teammates really like him. Uh, his coaches really like him. And I think if you surround him with a good supporting cast, uh, he can really play well. Same thing again. That, that can be said for Kirk Cousins. That can be said for Garoppolo as well. What do you do with Lamar now? Because Lamar, as I've argued uh, numerous times, it's like I don't feel like Lamar is unfairly criticized. I feel like Lamar has jumped up every time we've put limitations on who he is as a player. And then to have this MVP season, then we want to start thinking, well, look, look, if you can win MVP, that means you should be in this group. And I don't think anybody thinks he's in this group. So I think that's where the challenge comes in with the Lamar discussion. Yeah, to me, like quarterback right now is all about upside. I think, you know, some of those guys we just mentioned, they're competent. And that's why I have an issue with teams like Washington trading for Carson Wentz. It's like competency isn't getting you anywhere. Like every team has an okay quarterback who you can win nine games with and make the playoffs. So to me, it's all about you got to swing for the fences. And to me, Lamar ha obviously has that upside with him winning the MVP. Now, you're right. I mean, there have been there are times you watch that Ravens offense for the last two years and you're like, shoot, they can't even complete a pass. Like, what is going on here? Something you would never say about some of the top offenses in the NFL. Now, I, I think it's fair to look at the coaching there. And there are people who would say, uh, you know, they don't have the most innovative, most complex passing scheme with Greg Roman there and, and what Lamar ran in college, people would say was even more complicated. And he has the, uh, you know, the brains, the mind to do it, uh, accuracy uh, to do it when he misses. It's not because he's going to the wrong place. I think it's, he just misses. I, I shouldn't say actually because he does miss throws, but it's not that he's always going to the wrong place. So he's still young enough. Now that contract situation, talk about sort of under the radar storylines. Like he's his own agent, uh, I believe. And he's looking at probably the quarterback market here and kind of betting on himself, which to me, if you're like a top quarterback under 30 is probably not a bad, uh, a bad thing to do because like how low is the floor? You know, unless you're worried about having a career ending injury, um, Lamar Jackson can say, unless you want to pay me at the top of the market, I'll just chill, you know, go ahead. Use Yeah. Franchise tag, go ahead. You want to use it again until I'm getting top, top level money. Uh, I'm not going to sign anything long-term. So that's kind of like, I don't know if it's in the weeds or uh, under the radar there with the Ravens, but, but that certainly is a kind of a big storyline right now. Do you think that should give us any, like, should that influence our evaluation of Lamar if his own team is hesitant to give him a deal that matches some of the other quarterbacks? Uh, maybe a little bit, but you know, the, the team's looking out for the team and the players looking out uh, for the player. Like if Lamar Jackson were on the open market uh, tomorrow, you know, he would be paid at the top of the market. There'll be some team. I think, you know, it might not be every team. Some teams might say, well, we got to build the whole thing around him. We don't want to have the quarterback inclusive run game, but I do think there certainly would be, you know, many teams who would look at that and say, this guy won the MVP at like 24 years old. Yeah. We'll pay him. $50 million. I mean, just look at what happened with Watson. There were, what, 13 teams at least interested in him, and then he whittled that down to four. And I know there are different types of players, but still, there's a lot that, that comes with that. And so, you know, I, I wouldn't probably read too much into it. Yeah, I mean, every Watson conversation is challenging because it sounds like, well, if you just talk about him, the player, like we had we had um, Jordan Palmer and Quincy Avery on recently, and Quincy works with Deshaun, you know, and so in the context of what we were doing, it was, hey, you know, this wasn't, we're not doing 60 minutes here. You know, we were talking about Deshaun, the yeah. quarterback, and then it's like, well, how could you guys just talk about him as the quarterback and not talk? And it's like, well, because it's assumed that we all understand what else is going on here and nobody's in favor of it. Um, 
But if we do look at this just from a football standpoint, again, with Watson, you know, it almost seems like a mistake to leave him out of the top five conversation. It's just that we don't know when we're going to see him. Uh, but I imagine he's young enough that when he comes back, I imagine Cleveland with that investment. Can you put into context how special Watson was with the Houston team that I don't think any of us would ever say was the best roster in the league? Yeah, t- talking about just from a put- football perspective, absolutely. He would belong in that conversation with all those young guys. Now, he hasn't won probably as much as all of them, but circumstances absolutely matter. And he was not in great circumstances on the field there uh, with the Houston Texans. I mean, he's still such a young player. He- he's got all the talent you could look for. I mean, the numbers are pretty crazy when you look at it. It sort of went under the radar because the Texans, you-, you know, were not winning a lot of games. But yeah, I think he would be right there um, in that. In that conversation, if we're talking about just on-field uh, sort of talent ability with, with all those guys we mentioned in the first part, is there somebody that is a projected starter that you just go, "This is this is the most likely to be replaced by midseason"? Now we also going to see how the draft <laughs> plays out because it doesn't matter. Like three of these quarterbacks are still going to go in the first round, probably, and that means that two of them are playing at least. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, replaced in midseason. I mean, I don't know. Are we are we assuming Jameis is? I, I guess they gave Jameis sort of that, uh, you know, low level starter money. I mean, Tua is the probably easy answer. You know, they signed Teddy Bridgewater. Bridgewater just kind of replaces like guys like Tua pretty much everywhere he goes. You sign him for six and a half million dollars. So if like that's not going well for Tua in the first six seven weeks of the season, uh, maybe they would make a switch there. Although I, I think they're very similar players. So I don't know that you would have kind of a major uh, upgrade with him. I'm looking at the rest of the list here. I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I don't know what the lions are doing. They're just like, yeah, we're good with with Jared Goff here. We don't want to sign uh, anybody else. I, I thought Dan Campbell was pretty frustrated at times with Goff last year. They were kind of like a feel good story, you know, by the end of the year, but I don't think he was pumped about having Goff as his starter, but they haven't done anything yet. So yeah, I mean, I guess we kind of have to see what would happen uh, in the draft, but I do think it's smart. Like Trubisky, you know, that move gets clowned a little bit. I think that's smart. Sign a guy for $7 million. Then you go draft somebody, and guess what? You're getting a couple bites at the apple. Trubisky's not going to light it up, but you're not going to have like the you know a, a, an offense where you can't even complete balls to receivers. So like that Trubisky Mariota thing, like I think that's a smart way to go. Don't pay a lot. Draft somebody. Wait for the you know accumulate some assets. Wait for the next quarterback domino to fall next offseason, whether it's Kyler Murray or somebody else, and get ready. Like I would much rather do that than trade two picks for Carson Wentz and pay him twenty eight million dollars. So not a fan of the commander's moves here. I mean, look at it now compared to everything else that's happened with, you know, Teddy Bridgewater gets six and a half million dollars and you're giving up two picks and $28 million for Carson Wentz. I mean, Matt Ryan goes for a third. It's just like, yeah, I, I thought they really kind of just panicked. They're like, hey, we got to do something. Uh, who's available? Yeah, go ahead. We, we will go ahead and acquire Carson Wentz and to kind of have the confidence that in your building after he played with Frank Reich, that he's going to be better for you than he was for Frank Reich. I mean, with your infrastructure, with your kind of disastrous uh, organization, that that to me is just such a huge stretch. Like he, he certainly could be one that, you know, I didn't mention him, but yeah, if he were replaced in week eight and we're going, is Carson Wentz ever going to have a starting job again in the NFL? That That conversation would not surprise me. What do the numbers tell us about Matt Ryan? I'm a longtime Matt Ryan defender. I'm happy for him that he's with yeah. the Colts. Um, you know, look, I, I know the numbers aren't pretty, but I think that's another kind of situation that may be similar to Deshaun as a younger player to Ryan as an older player. 
Yeah, the numbers were not great last year. You know, he's probably like a slightly below average starter. At the same time, that's an easy one to look at and go. I mean, the guy had like the worst situation for any quarterback in the NFL. I mean, the offensive line was a disaster. Uh, they traded Julio Jones. Calvin Ridley didn't play. I mean, it was, you know, Russell Gage and rookie Kyle Pitts that he was throwing. So he was just getting crushed. I mean, if you watch those Falcons games, or even if you didn't, and just flash to red zone, I mean, it was mostly Matt Ryan getting completely crushed and thrown into the ground and sometimes making an amazing throw. So I think if you're the Colts, you can talk yourself into, we have a better offensive line. We've got a better infrastructure. We've got a coach who's maximized the talents uh, at quarterback for us. Uh, I thought it was a fine gamble to take. You know, it's not a long-term answer. I think they're another team. You still look to the draft. But in the short term, yeah, you know, Matt Ryan could get you to to win that division next year. Sure. So I think the best way to summarize this is the AFC has maybe five options, depending on what happens with Watson when he comes back to play as top five quarterbacks between Mahomes, Allen, Herbert, Burrow. And look, Watson was was that guy. I mean, I guess you could even go six if you said Lamar had had some kind of season where the NFC's entries are Rodgers and Brady. So that's it. I think that's it. I think that the the AFC has more top. Look, look no, the, the exercise was not to say the NFC actually is better quarterback depth because that's that's impossible. But it's just that they have so many more options as potential top five guys. And look, we're going to be surprised. Maybe Kyler turns things around here. Maybe there's, um, you know, I don't know. I'm trying. I'm looking for it. Maybe Jalen Hurst takes a step up. But again, I mean, to have him at top five, that doesn't seem to make a ton of sense. I'm not going to go that crazy with it. And Stafford, you know, still coming off a. a a good year, but maybe not great year, but it'll be remembered as great because they ended up winning the Super Bowl. So I think that's kind of the best way to summarize it, at least for yeah. me. Yeah, I think in the NFC, you could throw, you know, Stafford, I think, has that upside. Dak, I think, still has that upside. Kyler has that upside. If any of those guys, you said, hey, they were a top five quarterback next year, that wouldn't shock me. And I would still include Russ in there in the AFC. I think if things fall right for him uh, next year, we can be having that stupid MVP, never got a vote conversation in like uh, week seven and everyone can can get annoyed. So yeah, I would still put him in there. <laughs> there you go. I can't wait. That'd be awesome. Sheila Kapadia of The Athletic. Uh, always appreciate the time. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Uh, this is exciting. Gilbert Arenas is going to join us. No chill. His podcast with Gilbert Arenas, part of Fubo as well. I was checking it out this past week. You guys had Paul Pearson. You having Paul Pearson to talk about him and KG being in high school and ducking from a cab fare was, <laughs> was not what I expected to hear five minutes into the podcast. That was pretty funny, man. Yeah, Paul's, Paul's hilarious. How long have you known Paul? Um, to that, oh no, 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 like 90, like 98, 99, when I used to just go up to UCLA you know, to watch all the NBA players um, play. Yeah, because you were, what were you? Did you come out in 2000? I came out 2001. So I was a junior in high school. I was a junior in high school. Right. Okay. So the, the LA guys, what is it about the summer and the LA guys and, and all the players that want to move out? Is it just that UCLA run? I mean, obviously the city's great too, but that's just legendary. It seems like so many players are out here all the time. I think um, 
Magic Johnson started something that was just, um, it was just great, you know, just for basketball itself. Um, you know, usually because so many players coming from Los Angeles to the pros, when they come back, when they're training, you have 10, 12 guys here, those guys start to get together. So then when once, you know, other players hear it, they travel to Los Angeles for summer run. So, you know, um, Los Angeles became a hot spot for, you know, coming back in the summer to, to, to test your skill and test your training. Now, I, I'd imagine, because this is kind of the way basketball is, were there guys that played in those games that were just unbelievable, but it never happened when they play in a real NBA game? Like, who, who are the guys? <laughs> that, that, we, we call them practice players. Yo, there's some, that's why the NBA is funny, because we were like, yo, in the summer, yo, this person we couldn't guard. Like, so Nick Young, they call him, Nick Young, Nick Young is called I Am Legend. You could not, you can't, you could not stop that man in the summer. Just something about structure, something about structure and coaching hurts other players' uh, mentalities. Um, some players in the summer, horrible, horrible summer players because non-refereeing hurts their game, right? Like, you know, they need the referees, they need the structure, they need the rules. So you have these two worlds of like, Yo, you play against him in the summer, you're like, yo, he's so easy to guard. Then you put structure referees around. He's the hardest person to guard. Then you have no structure, right? And then this guy is just blossoms. You know, so, you know, you have have Nick. He's one of those players. Um, You know, Flip Murray was, he was amazing on or off that court. I mean, you know, he just didn't get enough time. Um... Who else? Who else? Who else? Who else? Uh, Jamal killed no matter what. Those are, the, you know, those are the players that you just hated guarding in the summer. You hated guarding like a Ginobili type. Um, um, you didn't like guarding Jamal Crawford. You wouldn't want to guard Kyrie. Um, uh, uh, Jordan Clarkson, you don't want to guard him in the summer. Like those are the type of guys you're just like, you know what? You guys are kind of wild. J.R. Smith. J.R. Smith was a hard summer guard. Now, he was a hard summer. He was really hard summer. <laughs> no, but it's a great point because anybody that's ever played really at any level, you have guys who be like, all right, as soon as it's real and there's refs, it's like you're not even close to the same player. It's, it's, and it's always scores, too. It was yeah. always the scores. It would just be like, I never have to worry about getting yanked. I never have to look back over the bench if I did something wrong. And some guys just, I mean, that's the, that's the mystery of coaching. You know, when I think about, you know, how vocal you were as a player and stuff since then, all right, let's let, let me ask you this. What are the things you hear about today's game, today's players from people, whether it's somebody like me or, you know, somebody doing ESPN first take, countdown, all that kind of stuff, TNT. What are some of the things you hear about today's game and players that you don't agree with? Usually all of it. <laughs> all of it is a lot. Usually because I didn't narrow it down. It's like um, you know, like music, right? Every generation hates the one before. It's just, sure. So that's just how it works. Um, you know, so it's like the over, you know, they're overpaid babies. Um, um, you know, overpaid babies. Uh, with the, and I, I didn't like the time management, you know, when they were talking about time management stuff. Um, 
What else? What else? What else? What else? Like if we talk about if we talk about Steph, like you caught some heat because you said Steph's not a top five point guard, but you were saying it more because you just didn't see Steph as a traditional point guard, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So like it was funny. I said he's not a top five point guard, but he's a top five player, right? You know, if that made sense. Um, you know, when you talk about point guards, you know they all raise. You know the the headline is always Magic Johnson types. Right. That means they're pass first guards. They're leading their team, making them better in the passing category. So, you know, with that, with that, that baseline, you wouldn't put Steph in there. Right. You would put, you know, Lonzo Ball, um, Mello Ball, uh, Rondo, Chris Paul, um, like a little bit of John Wall. You would put those type of guards. So Steph would be with us, me, Kyrie, Dane Litter. Um, um, well, most of the guards. I mean, Harden's yeah, well, a point guard, today, but, but Harden's a point guard, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? He is it. He is it. And that's kind of, so, so when hmm. you go back, though, to you coming out, I mean, do you think that's why you ended up being a grin is the top of the second round? But, you know, the idea that you're not a first round pick looking back on it is absurd. Is it because of the combo stuff that was just a dirty word back then? Yeah. You know, being a combo guard was looked down upon. They didn't, you know, they didn't know how to use the combo guard at that time. It was like, do we play him at the one? He's not good enough to control the team at the one. He's not big enough to be the two. Where do we put this guy? And that was really the, the stigma on, you know, combos guards coming in. Um, so when I came in, technically, I was a shooting guard. I was a shooting guard and watching Jason Richardson, you know, getting mollywhopped you know, day in and day out by, by those shooting guards. I was like, man, let me learn this point guard position. And then when I started paying attention to the point guard position, I'm like, yo, these fuckers is weak compared to what I do. You know what I mean? You're, talking, you're still talking about Gary Payton, you know, all-star. You know, you're, you have John Stockton. You have Jason Kidd. You have Steve. Uh, uh, I didn't know Steve Nash wasn't a highlight what he was, you know, once he got traded. Or once he left for free agency, you know, you got a young Tony Parker, you got Jamal Tinsley, you know, I'm like, yo, these, they can't guard me, you know? So it became one of those minds where I'm just going to do what I do against them and see how that pans out. Did you think you were going in the first round? Oh, yeah. 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 What happened? Um, besides, um, okay. So the, the rumor is this. I went, so I went to Boston. I went to Boston. I had three days in Boston. Um, I hurt my heel. I hurt my heel in Boston. And I was nervous about, like, hurting myself just for the rest of my, my, um, my workouts. So um, I, I guess it was like, was it, was it Jim O'Brien, something O'Brien? And I, you know, Jim O'Brien, yeah, he was a was coach. Yeah. Uh, so I told I told them that hey I need to leave. So after my second workout, I left, and they said um, I was soft. I wasn't. <laughs> I was too immature to 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 battle. And then that was so. Add that with the rest of the immature shit I did. You know, it was just it became <laughs> it became one of those. But but yeah, Boston really didn't like you because that was the year they had three first rounders. Yeah, they had three. That's what they uh, had three first rounders. Right, and you know, granted they they had ten and eleven, but that's when they took Joe Forte. Yeah, 10, 11, 21. Uh, was, yeah, twenty one. All guards, basically. 
Yeah, I mean, they had Joe. I mean, Joe was going to go high, and they were in love with Kedrick Brown because they thought like they'd uncovered this mystery. Um, yeah, yeah, and and he was a sick athlete and everything. But then Forte later on didn't exactly work out. So all right, so you're you got a bad rep now, and you go in the second round. But then it's you know for those of us who remember, you come in and your rookie year with the Warriors are like, wait, what? And then the second year you're 18 a game, mm-hmm. and it's and it's on. Uh, what was that? What was that like? Especially that second year, and then you know because of the weird second round rules that you're going to make money too on top of everything else. Okay, so the first the first year, I'm not even gonna lie, I was depressed. I, I was I was I was really depressed because my basketball my basketball career is basically based off of you know hard work, outworking the next man, finding his flaws, attacking his flaws, right. So when I came in, you know, my mind, I'm not even going to lie, I was looking at Jason Richardson's spot. You know, me, me, me and him, because we trained all summer with Kiki Vandering. So me, Jason Richardson, Troy Murphy was all under the same agent, Dan Fagan, rest in peace. Uh, we had Kenny Satterfield and we had Tavares Bell from Rhode Island. So it was the five of us. So we used to battle like crazy. And Kiki used to say, yo, Gilbert is probably your best player. So when I got drafted, my phone call, you know, the interview, don't worry, I'll be starting by the middle of the season. Click. That was that was, that was, that was my interview for the Warriors after I got drafted. Click. Right? Just, just this cocky kid. So going into training camp, um, watching, learning. The game was faster than I thought. These guys were more athletic than I thought. Um, I remember I played in a one-on-one drill with Larry Hughes and the score was 21-3. He beat the dog hell out of me. Um, and I remember going back to my the house calling um, Rodney Tension, the, the recruiter who got me to Arizona said, hey, I, I, I need to go back to college, bro. Like, can you get me back to college? Like, I swear to God, like, I'll just give the money back. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, oh, yeah, it was horrible. It was horrible. It was horrible. And then I remember we had this, we had this psychologist, you know, they do that like, like psych test. Yeah. You know? And the guy was asking me all these stupid questions and he asked me a question. He said, uh, would you rather, he said, I, this is like right before I start breaking out. He was like, would you rather um, hit the game winner or make the game winning assist? And I said, those are my two options. Cause I would pick neither. And then he was like, what do you mean? It's like, I mean, of course, everyone wants to be Jordan, but, you know, that doesn't have nothing to do with your, your work ethic. That's just who you are as a person. I'd rather say game-winning rebound. He's like, why would you say game-winning rebound? Because that means it's me versus nine other players on that court. And it's like, it's like that's real competition. The, the person who gets that ball has won that game. So that's me against the five plus my four. And then after after our talk, he said, you know, I don't know, you know, what your playing style is, how you play, but you're going to be great because your mindset, you know, just change some things about you. Stop being, you know, you know, the rumor of you, you're really immature, this and that. Why don't you just be serious? Why don't you be angry about where you are right now? And I'm like, serious? Like angry? Who's angry? Like, why would I want to be angry? I'm in the NBA. It's like, you know, this is about perception. It's about procession. If they're looking at you laughing and giggling, that means they think you're not ready to play. 
So you need to let them know that you're always ready. You're always serious. So I was like, all right. And from there, I just like, it was just tunnel vision of anger. <laughs> it was just a tunnel vision of just anger. Like I didn't, I didn't smile anymore. Like if you look at when I played that first, it was just became, I just became that those first two years, all text. I was like behind Rasheed Wallace and technical fouls. You know, I was just angry at everything. Like it was just one of those, just, it was like, it was like a dark place, but he was right. They're, they're looking at how I carried myself off the court to get on that court. So from there, I just slowed the, I just slowed the game down. I started watching everybody for their weaknesses. And then I just started attacking everybody. And that's how I finished off my rookie season. And then going into my second season, um, I got Muscleman as a coach. Right. And um, I remember training camp, Muscleman says, um, hey, we're going to go with Bobby Sur as the starting point guard. I'm like, what? First of all, I've been training all summer thinking Jason um, um, Jason Will was going to be the point guard. Right. Like I, like I, they were, they were basically trying to say that if we got the number two pick, we're picking Jason Williams. Right. We, I just lost a Duke, you know, a couple of years before that. There's no way I'm going to let this person steal my position. Right. And it was like, well, if he's the number two pick, it is his position. So I was like, all right, dude, we're just going to battle every single day. I'm going to embarrass this man every single day. Right. So we ended up getting three and we got um, Dunleavy, um, which we were high school. We were high school summer partners anyway. So that was a great pickup for me personally because I knew how he played. Um, but yeah, going into training camp, you know, uh, most of them said, yeah, you're not going to be the starter. It's going to be Bobby Sura. And I was like, but what if I beat him out? It's like, you know, I'm not really, you know, fond of beginning players. So in training camp, I became zone man. And I remember we're going, we, went to, we went to Golden State and said, yeah, um, after I took the position in training camp, you know, can we restructure my deal? Um, I'm the starting point guard, seven-year, $24 million. That's what they offered? No, that's what I went in asking for. Wait, well, could you do... I don't know if could you even do that. That would have had to have been a new extension that was agreed upon before because you couldn't have been able to do seven years on no, no, top no. of right. No, no, no. That, but back then it was seven year deal. No, I know there were seven year maxes so, for the current team, but you would have had to. Have, it would have basically been like once the summer happens. Once, this yeah, is once, the, summer, yeah, right. once the summer happens. So we was so basically I finished this year and then it would be seven. Yeah. yeah so uh, it was basically laugh. They basically laughed, laughed it off. It's basically a laugh off. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, you're talking about like, so you gotta remember, I, I spent all my money coming into the draft. So I really was on this fixed budget. I was doing a fixed budget for about five hundred bucks. For my so my free money was five hundred dollars uh for the month. You know, and that's like, you know, like dinner, gas. Wait, 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 wait. You were living on five hundred a month as a rookie? Yeah. Because, you know, what happened to all the other money? The, the, come on. I'm thinking I'm a first round pick. I'm thinking I'm I'm thinking I'm top. I think I, top 14. So I knew I was going to go past. Um, like I thought I was going to Boston. There was no way I was going to go past Portland. And there was no way in hell I was going to go past Sacramento. 
Right. And back then, I think it was four years of guaranteed money yeah. if you were a first rounder, you know, and then they shaved it back to the two option years. So you're at 300000 your first year. So you had spent, what well, now I'm figuring it out. Yeah. You had spent all of your money thinking you were a first rounder who at least is banking like four million bucks. So you were yeah, spending so I, against that. Yeah. So I spent the, I, I bought an Escalade, fixed it all up, right? Uh, gave my dad a loan, you know, so I spent all this. So when they right. did, easy, when they did, yeah. When they did the rest of the money to get me all the way into my next contract, it was $500. It you was were the, you were the brokest NBA player. Oh, broke it, it was like I was it was I was li- that's why I said I was living in the gym. Because I didn't have enough gas money, like towards the end of the month, I didn't have enough gas money to go back and forth. Did you say anything? Were teammates making fun of you? Did anybody? No, they, no, they didn't know. So you what was your where were you oh, living? Only Larry, only Larry Hughes knew. So I was living. Um, um, it was Alameda Island. So yeah. I lived in Alameda Island. Um, um, who was my t- uh, so I live next to Chris Mills. So usually off out of the when we go on a road, he'd take me to the airport and bring me back home because we live next door. Um, and in the morning, um, Mark Jackson, Big Mark Jackson from Philly, he'd pick me up at like six a.m. and then take me to. That's where I, I start getting and learning how to get there early. He'd pick me up and take me to the gym. So you know th- those guys help. And then when I wanted extra work, I just stay at the gym. So what ends up happening, instead of going back and forth, I just stayed at the gym the whole time. You know, players lounge, you got jacuzzi, shower, you got the, the fridge, you got a little food in there, you know, snacks, you know. <laughs> okay, but so this is the origin and it was some of the people just being like, what's his deal, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what what's going on? Because they may not have said anything, but they had to figure out at some point, like, you don't have a car, you always need a ride, you're at the gym the entire time, which is probably what turned you into a great player because you didn't have any other choice. Yeah. Didn't have I didn't have a choice. I'm not playing. <laughs> I'm not playing. I'm broke. Okay, my but you were playing. My girlfriend's though. cheating I, on me. <laughs> well, I, I can figure out why she thought she was dating an NBA player and finds out he's getting 500 bucks a month. No offense. <laughs> All right, but you ended up starting 82 games mm-hmm. um, and, and and scoring 18, and then you signed a huge deal with, with Washington. So I mean, it at some point. Okay, they don't want to take your extension, which is an absurd ex- extension. Thinking about your abilities at three million a year for the next seven, um, so so take us through all that part of it because that was something that was very eye opening to a lot of people, and they made a rule about it essentially because of you, because of the second round stuff. Yeah, so going into the summer in the first place, I had to borrow money from a teammate, so Eric Dampier. So I was like, hey, Eric, like I'm trying to like. Just, He's a good one to pick, by the way, to borrow money from. He was a good one to pick to ask yeah, yeah, yeah. To borrow money. <laughs> so um, he let me borrow. Uh, so he gave me seventy five thousand dollars. He gave me seventy five thousand dollars. Like I'm in heaven. Like so that's the most money I've had in my account at one time. Like so, I'm like the like going into the summer. I'm like a baller. So I took a trip. I took a trip to uh, Costa Rica. Like, like, you know, so I'm, I took a, a trip to Costa Rica. Um, you know, I heard like Michael Jordan, you know, just left the Wizards. You know, I was like, oh, damn, MJ, right? They didn't give him the, you know, so you hear all the rumors and stuff. Um, and then was it July? Get, you know, I think it's July, right? When uh, free agency starts. Yeah. So, so I'm living in my agent's uh, place um, in Venice. So I get to run the beach every morning. I'm training. You know, I'm, I'm training like crazy. Um, my, I, I'm mentally going back to Golden State. 
like, you know, Eric Muslim is my coach. You know, he let me do whatever I wanted. I was his guy. Um, uh, but also, Kiki Vanderway wants me over in Denver. And um, so it was this big, so even from the beginning, like the end of that year, Kiki Vanderway is already saying they're coming after me. So, um, war, uh, so Warriors knew that they were going to get outbid by Denver from the beginning. You know, if there's going to be one million, two, they were going to get outbid by Denver. So that was the big thing going towards the uh, the end of the season. Um, so I had, I kind of had that leverage already that no matter what, Golden, you know, Golden State has to get to that 49 million, right? No matter what. It was like, I think it was like uh, seven year, 49, uh, mid-level. Um, so my agent went into the free agency. It was like, yo, we're asking for max. So at that time, Max was 87 year, 86, maybe 84. I think that was the deal back then. Um, so that's what we, were, we went into free agency, you know, asking for. And, you know, out the gate, you know, Denver offers 51. So I'm like, I at least got 51. No matter what happens, I at least got $51 million. You know, so... Everything from there was just basically just making the right decision, you know, that that fit me, you know, as a basketball player. Um, and the reason I didn't end up in Denver is because they tried to call, Kiki tried to bluff Dan Fagan by signing Andre Miller. And uh, what ended up happening is they signed Andre Miller for, I think, 50, 51, 49. I think it's 51. And they said, we'll get, we'll get Gilbert 52. And it, my agent was like, well, thank you for pushing the number up to 51 because you signed, you signed a, a Volkswagen for Ferrari money. Right? You signed a Volkswagen. And I'm not going to let my Ferrari sign for a million dollars over that Volkswagen you got over there. Right? But thank you for pushing the number up. So because he signed at 51, I knew I was at least, at least $10 million ahead of him. And then I knew um, Lamar Odom was above me. So I'm trying to figure out what Lamar is going to sign. Lamar is trying to figure out what I'm going to sign. So then I just, you know, I, I didn't go to Denver. I mean, I didn't go to Utah, but Utah offered, you know, like 72. And I'm like, what the hell's happening over here? 72? Oh, my God. Went to the Clippers. They, they started off at 55. So they just went above Denver. So from there, because we're asking for Max, everyone is trying to. Um, went to my, uh, I, I talked. We talked to Pat Riley. Pat, Pat Riley was was not happy about fifty five million. He was like, "I do not believe in young players. We just drafted a kid named Dwayne Wade. We would love to have them both." as the one and the two, but we want Dwayne to try to play the one. Um, $55 million max is pretty, pretty, it's pretty high for a player who's really not proven. So, you know, they were, they were on the fence still. Um, so I go to Washington. Um, my dad asked a Poland about, um, you know, what, because we were Jordan fans. <laughs> we're, we're Jordan fanatics. So my dad, you know, his whole, the whole house fucking uh, 
red and black, you know, that bullshit. Um, so we, we, we go there and we're talking to Mr. Poland and my dad said, hey, so what, what happened with, you know, Jordan? Why is he the owner? And then Mr. Poland said, you know, straight out, he, he effed my team up. He said, effed my team up. You know, you know, you're talking about, you know, this, the best player to ever play this game. Um, talking to 18, 19 year old kids with the mentality of a great. Because he said, he's not like Magic Johnson where Magic Johnson is trying to help the kids. He's, his ego is still out there. So, you know, he's hurting these kids' confidence. So I asked the players, hey, do you want me to let Jordan be the owner? And then the, all the players said no. He said, all the, he said, listen, I'm a basketball fan. This is, he, and then he tells us a story about uh, Wes Unseld and how his rookie MVP is the reason that they all have their own rooms now because half the season he had to sleep in the hallway because he was with, you know, he was, they, they had roommates. So the veteran made him sleep outside and this is my MVP and rookie of the year sleeping in the hallway. And then from there, I was like, no, this is never going to happen again. So he's telling us all this. He was like, yeah, he just messed my team up. He said, but if you come here, whatever we have in the bank is yours. He said, um, if the salary calorie, uh, the, he said, right now we have 56 million. If the, the cap goes up, whatever it is, is yours. Brian, is it Brian Russell opts out of his deal and goes to the Lakers to try to win a championship, whatever money, that's yours too. So whatever we have, it's yours. He said, if you help me out of this Jordan crisis, when your contract comes out, that's yours too. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. He said, we do not have, in this city of D.C., we do not have a face of the city right now. You can be the face of the city. So I was like, okay, all right, cool, no problem. Go back home and then um, go to State is my last stop. Um, <laughs> They take a private jet, so I'm on a private jet for the first time. Oh, man, I can get used to this. This, this, this is how the ballers do it. They, they fly private everywhere. Uh, T.O. was on the, on the plane, right? So him and, like, him and my dad are talking. You know, um, to this day, they're best friends because of that flight. Um, so T.O. there talking about San Francisco and, you know, doing all of that. Um, and then when we get to the hotel... They had like the Viper Porsches outside. Like, you know, that caught my eye as soon as I walked. Like, hey, there's some important people here. <laughs> this is a nice hotel. And you just have all luxury cars. So we go into the meeting, you know, you know, they do, you know, they show the season, how we play together. And then they had like a blooper, how it looks without me on the court. And then it had all these bloopers of them just messing up. Right. So, you know, yeah, yeah. So it played to my ego, of course. You know? <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Time out. So they played clips of other guys screwing up? <laughs> yeah, never yeah. Heard that. <laughs> yeah, it was just, but it, that was to my ego. So I was like, yeah. See, I knew they couldn't play without me. Um, so we're, so because of my mentor, Otis, Otis Smith, I had Otis come to the meeting, right? Because that's who I trusted. You know, um, he was just player development, you know, and, and, um, and go to state, but that's who I talk to all the time, especially about the mental part of the game. So he kind of helped me, you know, throughout those two years. So I had him inside the meeting. And I remember when we started talking about the money, 
they were like, yeah, you know, um, what we have for you is you have to play um, next year for 4.9, like, and then we can have a under the table deal, seven years, 79 million. He said, um, and then we have, and those five, those five luxury cars downstairs is, is yours. From the beginning, I was like, excuse me? You said the five, wait, those cars we passed, those are mine? Yes, those are all yours. Like all mines. Yeah, they're yours, all paid for and everything. Whatever they said for the next 30 minutes did not register. Because all I'm thinking, like, Monday, oh, I'm going to drive a red one Monday. Tuesday, oh, my God. Oh, they're going to hate me on the team because I'm going to be. And that's all I'm, that's all that's going through my brain. They're just yapping. I, I don't hear nothing. I'm just thinking luxury, luxury. All the girls is going to pull up. Oh, my God. So, so all you hear is, hey, Gilbert, did you hear what he said? Wait, what? Huh? I told you he got, and then Otis like, I told you he was not listening. Right? And then it was like, um, well, can you have us a minute? Like they give us a minute so we can like compare the contracts, right? So they get to comparing. I said, like, no, 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 no. We don't need to talk about this anymore. I see all the, I want those cars, right? And then 4.9, I get it. And then there's 79 million, right? That's like 80 something, bro. That's like 84, 85. I'm good. 85 for, in 85 for eight years. Who, who's, who? that's, that's, that's amazing money. And he was, and Otis is over here like this. Why are you, get, shut up. He was like, he's like, shut up, just shut up really quick. Let them do the numbers for you. So it's me and my dad, it's me and my dad, Dan Fagan and Otis, right? So they're just, they're, they're putting the numbers side by side, right? <laughs> so I'm over here like, oh, luxury, luxury, luxury. And then it was like, well, Gil, you know, with the Washington, so by by this time, Washington already went up. So they're at 65 billion, 66 million. So he's doing a deal. He says, well, 4.9, right? And then he says, so Washington, he said, uh, go to say is at 4.9 for your first year. Washington starts off at 8.6. And then this deal comes in at six point something. This deal is at 9 million. This, you know, so you started looking at it. Now I'm like disgusted at at why they're showing me this because now it looks like I can't like get these cars. So, um, I'm and you're going to be up sooner too. You're going to be yes. up two years earlier, which also played out well for you later yeah. on. But and that's, and that's what they said. They said, by time you, by time the money, you know, matches, you will be out of this deal signing, hopefully a match deal. He said, so the Washington deal is still the best deal. So I'm like, so, you, so we're saying, you know, I can get each one of y'all a car and still have two cars to myself. Like, why are we being selfish here? <laughs> like, why are we being selfish, guys? Like, I can give you a car. Like, come on, we could just, let's just run it. And it was like, and then Otis was like, listen. He, and then he said, and this is, what, this is what really like stuck with me. He said, all right, Gil. Jason Richardson is the franchise. Believe you might be the best player. Yeah. But Antoine is the franchise. Jason Richardson is the next upcoming. Then you have Troy Murphy. Then you have Dunley. You have Yuri Welsh. 
and then you. Someone has to get screwed. All you guys can't get paid. They can't pay all of you. Someone's going to be screwed here. The easiest person to screw is the person who is a 31 pick. You're a 31 pick. If you get hurt next year, that's $79 million is off the table. Even if you sign that contract, yeah, they don't have to, they don't have to okay it. And I'm like, there's like, then he talked about the Joe Smith thing. So I'm like, I'm sitting there like now, just like, ugh. Like, yeah, because the Joe Smith thing's the first thing I think about. But yeah. I mean, how much of this circumventing the cap do you think went on? Because that's what the cars are. That's what the the prearranged year later agreement is. Yeah, like so I don't, you know, because they knew because be, the forty. So you know, me signing the forty nine million that was just so off the table. They really, you know, we didn't, they didn't even negotiate. They didn't even talk about that. They didn't even talk about me signing that forty nine for seven at that point. So you know, it was basically you know we sign you for one year and then you know get you paid the following. And, you know, just, you know, with all of us being young, knowing that we all can't get paid is what really kind of, you know, pushed them out of the way and then focused more on Washington and Clippers. Washington, it was mostly Washington Clippers and Denver still because we were still asking for the max. So what happened was when I actually signed to Washington for 65, Kiki and Clippers actually got mad. Because it was like 65? You was asking for 86. We could have paid, we could have paid 60 something. And that right. was really the, the, the big deal there. Um, and I think what ended up happening is because, because the cap hurt Washington, I mean, it hurt um, Golden State, that they really argued with Stern about it. And um, because I, I did want to stay, like if it wasn't for if they could have matched the sixty, I would have been there. Um, but they couldn't, and I think that's what you know. That's what the uproar is about. Yeah, I mean that's why there's the Gilbert Arenas rule, so you can match with the second rounders now. Uh, there's still a lot more that I want to get to, so we may have to have you on again. But <laughs> you go to Washington, and this is the part that I was I was just happy for you because at this point you're like you're flirting with thirty a game. You know, the the one Cleveland playoff series, and I know you ran into him a couple other times, but at that point you were hurt. And so you're you're arguably a top five player in the league there for a little while. You're putting up these kinds of numbers, and it's this four-year stretch. It's just, you know, nobody can guard you, man. Nobody mm-hmm. can guard you. You're doing everything. And I think there was always a perception, too, because I thought it was funny when you knew that the Olympic team was already figured out ahead of time and you weren't going to be a part of it. You were like, fuck this. I'm out of here. And then you go, I'm going to get 50 against you guys. You did it against Phoenix. It seemed like maybe you got out of your game a little against Portland because you were just like, I want to give these guys 52. Because uh, I remember like looking forward to be like, oh, he's got Portland. I, I'm just watching arenas against the Trailblazers. I was like, all right, this one didn't go as well as Phoenix. But on top of the injury history, and then everything, and then obviously, you know, we know that you got in trouble with Stern and the gun stuff. Like, what, how quick did it feel like it was over? You know, so funny, it, um, in real time, it felt like the longest, dreadful ending of a movie ever. Because I forgot how little you were playing for some of those last couple stretches. Like, you know, go go ahead, Did, not to interrupt. Told, but. You know, when I, when I got hurt, um, when I got hurt, it, be, it, it was a big rift 
between me and the coaching staff. Um, it was like, like we hate each other, you know, <laughs> that it became like best friends to hating each other the very next night. Um, because we were, we were thriving. We were playing great. We were getting, it's like, you know, 11 games before 11 games before playoffs and we're still messing with our lineup. You know, coach is still putting the two centers against each other. Who's going to play Eton or Brendan. And we're, we're still doing that. And I remember we were in Charlotte. So we got Charlotte on the back to back. We're playing in Charlotte and then at home against Charlotte. And I remember we're in the locker room and I'm like, you know, just one of those things that I was like, man, fuck this. Like, why are we still, why are we still messing with the lineup? We should be getting ready for playoffs and we're messing with the lineup still. Can we just fucking play basketball already? Right. And then I remember coach was like, do I tell you how to play this game? Don't tell me how to coach. And I'm like, I'm not telling you. I'm just, just a statement that we need to worry about, you know? So me and him, like, it was like a little tiffle. So on back-to-back games, so when games were like that, so usually I get to the gym around 3 o'clock, 3.30, and I go through my routine. So I want to be on the court. So I, I, I get on center court, and I shoot, fill around, get my shots up, and then I go to the main, uh, or then I go to the practice gym, get my shots up. So I'm there way earlier than anybody else. You know, just going through my routine, filling the floor out, you know, like, like visualizing. Um so that's what I do normal games. On back-to-backs, we have practice at 5 o'clock. I get there exactly 5.30. Don't know why. Most likely, it, I, I was late. I was running late for a game, and then I probably had like 40. So that became the routine. Right? You know how that's usually how something happens, right? So that means if I'm, at the, if I'm, in, if I'm in the arena at 5.20, I do not get out of the car until 5.30. Right. It just it's all calculated. So I just sit there. For some reason, just to jump in, by the way, I'm blown away how often this happens with you guys in the NBA where to <laughs> prove a point, you will sit in the fucking parking lot until the minute you have to be there. So yeah. not to not to excuse you of it, but I hear about this all the time with guys. So go it's, ahead. It's, I, it's rituals. Everyone has rituals. So so something right. about five thirty. So yeah. to so this game, uh, so this practice. So usually out if it's um um, Antonio Daniels will basically go through the shoot around and then tell me everything that's going on. Right. That's just our deal. How we did it. Like he'd go through the shoot around. So that was the thing I would, I wouldn't be in the shoot around because I'm in the parking lot waiting till five 30. So this game, I was like, you know what? <clears throat> let me, you know, let me just get there early. So I'm on the court at five o'clock. I got my, I, I don't have my uniform. on. I still have my clothes on. So I'm, I'm part of the, all right, break, right? I'm part of that. And then I sit down, and then they go through the shoot around, and I'm just sitting there like, so we're just going to play uh, Raymond Felton the same way? We just got killed doing that shit. We're going to be, okay, we, we don't learn, right? So I'm just looking at how we're playing the scouting point. I'm like, oh, this is dumb. So we, you know, go through my routine, getting ready for the game. And then, and then um, Deshaun Stevenson says, hey, coach, are, are we doing a lineup? that you said before Gil got here. Wait, come The line up before Gil got here. And then he's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He erases my name and put Antonio Daniels. So I said, man, get, oh hell no. You know what, I'm not even gonna do this. I'm out of here. So I take my clothes off, get in the shower, 
put my shit on and <laughs> I'm leaving. I said, I'm not playing these games. We got playoffs and he's benching me because I talk shit, you know, the game before. Fuck that. So, um, Karan, Karan was like, nah, man, come on. You got to do this for the team, man. Don't, please don't, you know, this is about us. It's not about him. I was like, yo, why, what did I do? Right. And, and Deshaun said, he thought you was going to be late. He thought you was going to be late. So he was benching you because you're, I said, but I wasn't late. I wasn't late though. I said, I know. That's why I asked. <laughs> so I said, so he's basically snatching me out of lineup for no reason. Cause I actually wasn't late. And then he was like, so I get subbed in. That's where I hurt my leg. So when I hurt my leg, you know, it's like, I'm worrying about the leg, like, ah, fuck my shit up. And then I get a call from Deshaun Stevenson. And he said, dog, you should have heard what Eddie Jordan just said. And I was like, what? He's like, I'm glad he got hurt so I can prove that I can coach and we don't need a guy out there trying to score 50 every night. And then that was, that was, that was the end. That was the end. So from there, it was just training, you know, from there it was forget this injury. I'm training like a madman. So I didn't take my, I didn't take my um, rehab serious. I just wanted to just prove just, you know, I just went into the summer, just pretending like this injury didn't even happen. And then from there, it was just all downhill, just a long three, two years of just training and rehabbing. That is the worst thing for any athlete to sit there and watch the game pass them. There's just why you just, you're just watching other players do this, just catch you or just yeah. surpass you. And that was the, that, that was the thing that was eating me the most is that that's why I said it, it wasn't quick when it was happening. It was like, this is the slowest process ever. And no athlete should ever go through something like this. Just injury after injury, rehabbing after rehabbing. And you kept trying to come back, though. Like, I think you probably admit, I should have just shut it down. I should have not mm. pushed it, you know, and you just wanted to play. And I got that. Now the Otis stuff makes sense because it was kind of the two contracts that could be traded for each other. You and Shark, mm. and then Otis brings you back to Orlando. Can I, can I ask you about, though, when, when Stern, at this point, he's so pissed at you. You know, he's pissed about the gun thing and then he's pissed about your introduction where you were shooting and you know and you had to do an, an op-ed um i don't know if i can ask you this or not i don't know if you're gonna get pissed um were the guns really not loaded i'm not gonna, get, I'm not gonna were, the, were the guns really not loaded no, never, so why would you bring him in well because he said he was gonna do it like so it wasn't over gambling right okay it wasn't over gambling it was the fact that he was losing at gambling. And I'm sitting, like, by now you guys know my personality. I'm just. Yeah, I don't want to lose cards to you because I know yeah, it's just going to be you know, annoying as hell. So I'm just, right. I'm just the commentator. I'm just sitting here poking at everybody. You know, so, you know, Javar is one of those guys that, you know, he just, he gets irritated fast. <laughs> he gets irritated fast. You know, that he was like my little brother. So when he's yelling, I took it personally. Yo, come on. Don't yell, don't yell at them because you're frustrated. You know what I mean? You know, because I can tell them that. Other than that, it would have started a fight right there, just any other player. So I'm the player that can actually talk with him um, and talk to him about it. So what ends up happening is just going through the process, right? So I'm reading all the rules. 
of, you know, gun charges in the NBA. And I'm like, what am I, what am I actually guilty of? So, and I think by me telling Stern that, I think that's what pissed them off the most. So when we're in a meeting, we're in a meeting, um, he's telling us, oh yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And I said, first of all, uh, you know, I bring up Steven Jackson. I said, Steven Jackson shot his gun outside of a club. Well, that's not NBA property. I'm pretty sure that if you take those people and say, hey, here's four unloaded, unloaded guns on a chair versus someone shooting a gun, which one would you rather be in? What scenario, right? So he's seven games. And then I said, you know, Telefair had a loaded gun on a plane. That's NBA property. That's three games. I said, uh, someone had a gun in um, under the... In I think in the um, in the arena under you know parking lot that's part of the NBA arena. So I said the most you can give me is three games, but I don't want three games. I'll take one. So that's how fucking cocky I was at the point. And I said you said this to Stern. Yeah. So no wonder, he, you, no wonder you got crushed. And then he was like, um, he was like, so you got to remember he already has what he's thinking of doing, right? Fifty games, and I'm like, I'm not taking no fucking fifty games, like. This is what this is. And I said, first of all, what am I guilty of? He's like, you brought guns. Says who? Me? I said those were mine. Never said I brought them. If they, if they, uh, if they check any of the weapons, no fingerprints. I said, so I don't know how those guns got in there. There's no proof of me touching. I've never been around them. I didn't touch them. I didn't grab them. I didn't actually do nothing but say those were mines. That's all I did. That's all I'm guilty of. Those were mines. So I said, man, maybe I don't, I don't claim them anymore. I don't, you know what? Ah, they're not mine anymore. You know what? If you want to give me 50 games, they're not mine anymore. They're not mine anymore. And that's, that was my stance. They're not mine anymore. And he was like, You can see the anger. You can see the anger in his face. <laughs> what did he so, say? And then he hit me with some shit that just, it just, he said, oh, okay. Um, you just lost your Adidas deal. And I, oh, yeah, right. Um, how about this? If you fight me on this, if you fight me on this, I will take your NBA contract. Oh, oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> wasn't expecting that one. Um, and I said, like, wait, hold, wait, what? He's like, I will take and do everything in my power to take your NBA contract. You have about 88 million left, right? That's exactly what I have left. Now, this is the same guy who, when Jason Kidd tried to leverage him for picking him in the All-Star in the Olympics, Jason Kidd said, if, you know, if I don't get picked for the All-Star, I'm not playing in the Olympics, right? Jason Kidd just did that, and David Stern went with me as a sub in that um, 2005-06 All-Star game. So I'm like, I know what he's capable of. <laughs> I know what he's capable of. So I was like, 
I already lost my Adidas contract, so I'm not even I'm not even gonna take the chance here. So I'm just gonna shut the fuck up. And that that was basically it. He just basically said if if I don't take the deal, then he's gonna go after my NBA contract. So basically it was like, take this deal, 50 games, and continue your career. Or you can try to come back this season and I'm gonna go after that NBA contract. So you made yeah, you made the right choice. Yeah, I mean, so at that like, point. You know. Last thing, I don't know, you know, this. Have you have you ever talked to Javaris? Oh, oh, we talk all the time. We talk all. We talk. We talk. We talk. Uh, at least we text him probably like twice a week. We talk about basketball. We talk about basketball. Like it's like what's so funny is like after the whole thing, you know, went down. Um, he got in trouble. We became brothers again. You know, it's like even during even during when we were going through it and he was having financial problems, he hit me. I say, hey, GA, I know you're not going to take it personal. Is a way I can, you know, borrow some money for you know my mom's surgery and stuff like that. And it was like, oh yeah, no problem. Um, I never took it personal, you know, um, of what happened. It just happened. Um, you know, it's more business than anything. You know, and that was the thing that I would I had to you know ask myself if I was Washington Wizards and this fell upon me, what would I do? The same thing. You know, I got a guy who's had three knee surgeries, probably not going to be the same player, has this really, really um, expensive contract that A. Poland gave him. <laughs> you know, we told A. Poland not to do it, and A. Poland was like, that's my guy. <laughs> you know, so the fact that he, get, you know, we had this contract, I will be trying to get off of it too. You know, so, you know, once I once I put that in my, you know, what I will do, I never really had any hard feelings for Washington after that. But it took me it took me a couple of years to get to that point. Yeah, understood. I mean, the other thing too is like you're kind of out of the league at thirty. So as we're talking this all through, you're mid twenties, late twenties, and mm-hmm. um, you know, some things I think you would admit now, like you deserve criticism for. But I also think there were times too that you just wanted to come back and play. You know, yeah, you look, know, I'm not. I'm not saying you didn't screw up. You know what I mean? Like, no, 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 no. Right, I did that. Um, right. Okay, so when I went to Memphis, this is what really, like, mentally, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm over it. Um, I'm in Memphis. I have uh, Pargo and Josh Shelby. So I had the young Pargo, Jeremy Pargo, and Josh Shelby. That's right. The rookies. So they're asking me. You know, they're asking me like, yo, what do you do? How do you get better? You know, and I'm like teaching them my workout routines. I'm teaching them how to get to the, you know, we're going to take a cab, get there early, get your shot. Like I said, all that first bus crap, that's that's for people who who who, who are NBA players. I'm going to teach you how to be superstars, how to be elite. So we're going to go to the gym early. We're going to get our shots. We're going to, you know, the night before the game. So I'm giving them my whole whole package of success. Right. These kids work their butts off. But, you know, the coach didn't believe in young players. Right. So that's why they broke me on, because they didn't trust the young process at that time. So watching these kids, you know, you know, I'm working with them. You know, I'm, I'm having I'm having a little success during the game, you know, playing spot minutes here and there. Um, they're trying to they want to bring me back for the next season. I hurt my finger right before playoffs. You know, um, playing, you know, Josh one-on-one, you know, just getting them ready. Um, they're bringing me, they're trying to bring, they want to bring me back, you know, so I can be there from the beginning. And I'm like, as long as I'm on that court, 
as long as I'm on any team, any young player is going to sit behind me. No veteran, no coach who wants to win games is going to put them in before me. Why am I going to block somebody else's blessing? You know, like, I had my chance. I blew it. Um, I'm not going to sit and just sit on this bench collecting checks, playing spot minutes, being mediocre when someone else can be living their dream. And that's when I just stopped picking up the phone. And that that's how it ended. It wasn't, it wasn't really... Like, I mean, I tried to make a comeback, like, in the summer, you know, you get the jitters. I, play, I played for the Clippers. I was with the Clippers in the beginning of the summer, killing, killing them. And then I went to the Lakers, and this is when Steve Mashnam came, and I was bullying Steve Nash and Steve Blake. Eddie Jordan just got there. Um, and I'm looking phenomenal. But they're, they're packed. So uh, if, you, if you look at it, you see Clippers try to offer me or try to send me to training camp. They just signed J.J. Redick, I think. So I'm like, J.J. Redick, Jamal Crawford, I wouldn't be playing here. Um, but Lakers, oh, yeah, I, I can actually play for the Lakers at this point. Um, this is like 2013, I think. So I told Eddie, he was like, so what's your plans? And I was like, um, the fact that you guys can't pick me up until somebody gets hurt. I was thinking about going to China go there, get my confidence back, go there and shoot the ball a hundred times, you know, a game, get my swagger back. And then, you know, I'll be ready, you know, probably all-star weekend. And they were like, well, you can go to our D league and then play here. And I was like, eh, I'd rather go to China than the D league, you know, especially since China was offering 750. Right? So I was like, you know, I go to China, right? I go to China and then, um, and then just come back, you know, the offense you're running is my offense, so I know that like the back of my hand. So then they're they're coming in, putting the Princeton in. So I was like, I don't need you know any work on that. So went there, got hurt, and then they're just tracking tracking back down. I'm I'm injured more than I'm playing, and then from there I was just like, yeah, I, I'm just gonna let this go. This was awesome, man. I really appreciate the time, um, and uh, hopefully we can do it again. All right, Gilbert. Anytime. Make sure make sure you check out Gilbert on the No Chill Podcast, Fubo again, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, thank you for having me. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip, from free high speed Wi Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more. Book direct at lq.com tonight. La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate, hate, is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season. Throw in a little something extra, an appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead. 
on the Arby's app. You want details? Fine. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice is lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. Um, a couple, couple statements need to be issued, perhaps, from the podcast. Uh, the first being, we know that Gottlieb's picks didn't work out. We are aware. <laughs> we have heard from you. You have a voice on this show, and you have used it. And I don't know what to tell you. Sometimes some brackets don't work out for guys. Uh, I actually think I have his bracket in front of me. I, I think you know, the podcast by association is now it's all being said that all of our picks were terrible. I don't know. I, I, I feel like it's a little unfair. The risky uh, we Right. We still, have, we still have two Final Fours alive. We've got both West semifinalists alive. Um, Kentucky obviously out early when you lose a two seed and your national champion in the first round to a 15 seed St. Peter's, it's not going to give you a great chance of winning the office pool. Um, we are aware of that. Uh, Arizona, Nova still alive. Auburn, not the case. We try to tell everybody about the guards, um, forever, but he had them going to the final. So yeah, um, that's an issue. Your finals matchup is already done before you even got to like Sunday. Tough first so, yeah, yeah, not the best time you've ever had if you were doing one of those brackets. So uh, he had Nova over Ohio State, though. Don't don't hear too many people complimenting that. So yeah, we'll try to do better. We'll try to do better in the future. They only talk about your L's, Ryan. That's what they they never talk about the W's. Come on, no, they never talk about the <laughs> W's. We, but but let's face it, there were a lot of L's coming for you on this one, um, especially when you're losing your finals matchup before the sun goes down on Sunday. So. There you go. But noted, we want you to know that we heard you. We received the feedback and we will, we uh, <laughs> we will act accordingly. Yeah, we'll get better. We'll get better. We're going to use this that's as on a us. lesson. Yeah, that's... <laughs> it's the Russell Wilson talk. Oh, my God. Go I love... By the way, one of my... I don't do this very often, but one of my favorite things over the last week was looking at Russell Wilson videos being introduced and seeing everybody with a Broncos jersey on and an avatar defending everything. Being like, no, you could definitely watch all their offensive snaps three times in the course of a vacation. Like, that's how he's built. He's just built different. How do you not get it? And you're like, yep, no, I got it. Yep, that's right. It would definitely make a ton of sense to watch an offense you're not going to run three times. <laughs> well, that's um, why I respected Mike McCarthy when he got the Cowboys job. He was like, yeah, I watched, what was it? I watched every Cowboys game from last year. And then he was like, actually, I just lied to, you know, to get the job. I actually respect that. Like I respect that he was like, yeah, I just tried to get the job and I lied. It is what it is. Like Russ actually believe, I mean, who knows? Maybe he did and I'm, I'm an idiot, but he did. First of all, he did. So like, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem like it's possible, but you never right. know. It's Mr. Unlimited. Who knows? Right. No, like if there's a train in our heads, You'd be like, well, where is this train going? Be like, well, this train's going to common sense. This train's going to like, you know, a sandwich for <laughs> a sandwich for lunch, maybe some chicken and rice for dinner. Russ is like, do you have a train to insane comp town? And you're like, yeah, I'm going to get on this one. And so um, it's just hilarious because I've look, I could figure this out very early on and then. Now he was doing the presser, and you should be pumped because he's an awesome quarterback. 
And you could argue that he would watch the offense to evaluate receivers, evaluate tight ends, even though their best tight end went back in the trade, um, looking at offensive linemen and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, that's just not what he did. Like, if you can't figure this stuff out now at this point, I can't help you. But the funny part was that Seattle fans who have defended it forever were like, oh, this guy, he didn't watch it. And I was just looking at all the battles and it was hilarious to me because then it'd be some guy like, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to throw out a weird Denver town. I'm not, I'm just not going to. And he'd be like, whatever. He's super dedicated. Like, what are you talking about? And you're like, you yeah, know, no, no, I get it. I get it. I get it. That's fine. Enjoy. Um, I, I just can't believe some of the quotes. And by the way, I, did Skip have a thing the other day where he said he's watched every LeBron game and he's tweeted about every LeBron game in existence? He said yeah. he may have missed one or two games his rookie oh, year oh. and that's it. Okay. But he's watched every game. Yeah, because one of the origins of Skip and I not liking each other is when he said he'd watch every Chris Paul game and going all the way back to college. Because I've had this long-standing thing where I've said, don't get as mad as you do against like guys that talk for a living about these teams because we don't watch your team as much as you do. Like I have lots of opinions on lots of teams. I have lots of opinions on the Bulls. If you're a really locked-in Bulls fan, there's no chance I watch your team as much as you have because I need to watch other games too. So sometimes. I'm not going to know it as well as you do. I'm also not going to be emotionally attached to whatever my observation is of the whole thing. But yes, Skip one point said about Chris Paul, he was like, I've watched every one of his games going all the way back to college. And I was like, that's just not true. There's no way you did that. Like, it's not. So I don't know. I don't know why guys do that kind of stuff, but they do it. All right. Life advice. Moving on. Uh, Ryan, female, 29, 5'3", 133. All right. I've given up most forms of exercise in favor of the Melissa Wood Health 15-minute workout. Uh, I don't know what that is, but somebody want to research that? Yeah. Are we being fucked with here? Or is that a real thing? If it's a real thing, who knows? Spreading the word. I'm involved in a little mystery that my boyfriend uh, and his friend, I don't know if we include names here. Uh, let's just change them around. Mystery that my boyfriend and his friend Todd are obsessed with getting to the bottom of is he asked me to write you to see how you would handle it. Uh, I like the life advice segment. Would never listen to your podcast other than that. No offense. Hey, not the <laughs> first female I've heard say that to me. Uh, hear it almost every day. So here's the situation. A while back, I threw a birthday party for myself that was casino themed and everyone dressed up in high roller attire. It's about 15 of, friends, uh, 15 of my friends in my apartment. Look at you bragging about all 15 of your friends. How about this person, huh? super popular um that's a joke about us by the way it's too many friends right it's a lot of friends one of my friends uh had a friend of hers in town let's call her deborah so she came to the party uh deborah embraced the theme and wore a pair of expensive trendy sunglasses that she had just bought as part of her high roller outfit at some point in the night she took off the glasses ended up leaving without them uh, long story short, the glasses were nowhere to be found, and everyone concluded that clearly another party guest had gone home with them. This was slightly awkward for me, as these weren't random people, but my close friends. I texted my friends and asked if anyone had seen the glasses, and one replied that she hadn't seen them, but joked that she'd been very drunk, so it was possible she'd taken them. We never brought it up again. Recently, I went to this friend's apartment, and I saw a pair of glasses in her room that I've never seen her wear. After leaving, I put together that these might actually be Deborah's glasses. Do I, A, try to get another look at the glasses, B, wait for her to wear them in front of me, C, confront her about it, D, just let it go at this point. I'm inclined to choose D because this is one of my best friends and I don't think it's a huge that huge of a deal, but my 
boyfriend and Todd find the whole thing hilarious and want me to confront her. Um, thanks, Bestie. I appreciate your consideration of this matter. P.S. My boyfriend says UVM winning the NCAA tournament would be the absolute craziest thing that's happened. Yes, that would be that'd be super crazy. Um, she thinks UVM's underrated. UVM lost to Arkansas, so we're not going to worry about that at this point. All right, a lot of options here. Um, I am not a steal people's shit guy. Um, I think it's really fucked up, and I think when you realize that, like, the person that bought the thing that you stole is always going to have this kind of like, look, they'll eventually get over the hole in their life. I don't know how long it takes for sunglasses. I imagine a pet takes a little bit longer than a pair of shades. But you get my point that you're always kind of like, oh, whatever happened to those? And when you can't solve the mystery, it's usually because somebody fucking stole them. And so I think your friend saying, oh, I maybe would have taken them. I don't know because I was drunk. She's admitting she definitely took them. All right. Am I 100% on it? No, but I'm pretty close to 100%. If you're going to say like, oh, I don't remember seeing them, but uh, who knows with me? I was so drunk. Maybe I took them. Uh, why would you say that unless you probably took them? So I know what you're also saying is you're doing the math, which is smart on do I confront the person that's always been in my life and will continue to be in my life about stealing sunglasses that I think we all know she stole them to be like, hey, why did you steal those? Hey, I need them back and cause some sort of conflict there, even though your friend is the one that's wrong, um, to then get the shades back to the friend of a friend where apparently you're based on this, the information, there's not going to be a lot of interaction there down the road. Uh, you better be sure though, right? As sure as I think I am right now, we're not a hundred percent on it. So if it is one of your best friends, you could go over there. You could, I don't know how you're going to confirm it. You could take a picture of it. And then if you show that picture to the friend of a friend, Deborah, whose glasses they may originally ban, and then she's like, yeah, those are mine. That's bullshit. She stole them. I want them back. Now you're forced to have to deal with something that's much bigger than what you have to deal with right now. So selfishly, yes, you could look at it as, you know, I'm not, I'm not looking to be fucking Batman here. You know, this is not with great power comes great responsibility. Like maybe I just don't want to deal with all this stuff. I do think it's, kind of fucked up that your friend would steal the glasses, be drunk and steal them. You could ask her about it. Maybe she'd just totally come clean and be like, I'm so embarrassed. And then after the fact, I didn't want to say anything, but I think that she's not embarrassed. I think she's almost running it by you because she knows that deep down she did it the whole time. So there's, there's a very easy way out of this by saying, I'm just not dealing with any of it. You keep your friend. There's no conflict. There's no part of it that's weird. Because I imagine if you're a person that steals shit, you don't like being called out for it because you're a fucking thief. Um, and, you know, then you're the hero for this other person you're not really friends with. And then your boyfriend and then the other guy, like mystery solved and all this stuff. So I think selfishly, like most people would choose that option being like, I just don't want to have to deal with all this kind of stuff. But I don't know, man. I I would probably... I would probably say something to one of my friends being like, why did you steal that? Like, what did you do? And, you know, we need, because then think about their position. What's their position? How dare you call me out for something that I stole and return it to the rightful owner, you asshole? Like, say that out loud, right? So um, I, I imagine most people would choose the first option. I'm not saying that you have to do the second option, but I just think when people, people, I just think, like I said, I've had so much stuff stolen from me over the years, and then I've had a couple of people steal shit, then then I would see it later and be like, oh, ha, yeah, uh, and you're like, no, not fucking, uh. like, you stole my shit from my house, you knew it was stolen, you knew I'd asked about it, there's this one t-shirt I'd had from high school still, I don't know how the thing survived, I fucking loved it, and then it got stolen by a girl, 
because it was an awesome t-shirt. And then I don't know, a year and a half later, I saw it and I'd asked about it like two or three. I knew it was stolen. And then it was like the person got busted and then acted like it was some big joke. And I'm like, no, it wasn't fucking funny. I asked you about it. You stole it. You lied about it. And now you're busted. And we're all just supposed to have a laugh about it. So I don't know. I don't really have a definitive answer. Yeah. Sad, Kyle. Very sad. Go ahead. Um, I just think, A, you definitely have to make sure that it is. Because basically all she said is, I saw a pair of sunglasses that I've never seen her wear before. And I mean, what do you guys like share a room? Like, how do you know if she wears glasses all the girls time? Girls know. Okay. Girls know about okay. each other's okay. accessories. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. But all she said, she's like, later I put it together. So, I mean, yeah, maybe find out. The other thing I would say is, what if you just like went a little reconnaissance and just fucking stole them back? And then, I mean, that would, how awkward would that be if then were they're all together again and she knows that the glasses she stole are missing. She sees them on the, on the girl who they belong to. Like that might just be enough of a mind fuck where everybody gets a little penance anyway. If you go over stealing back, as long as you're sure that those are the ones. But that's what Ryan said. You have to know that these are the, that these are the sunglasses that were stolen. First off, I love the dude, the boyfriend being like, yeah, confront her. Like, cause that's hundred percent what I would do, even though it's not the right thing to do at all. It's just to egg somebody on and be like, do it. You won't. Um, I don't know what the end game there is other than like his personal enjoyment. So I wouldn't say it's the best advice, but, uh, why, if you are sure, first off, she said, Hey, should I wait until she, you know, is wearing them in front of me? Yes. At that point, like, I think you should probably say something, but until you really know, like, what are you snooping around a room and you see these sunglasses and you're like, Oh, like, you know, how do you explain that away? It's kind of awkward to, to, to explain. Um, so I, I just think you have to absolutely know. And then once it's really painfully obvious, then you just kind of pull her aside and be like, I know what the deal is. What the hell is going on? And just confront her. Cause what she is, as you said, Ryan, what's she going to get mad at you for that? Like it's her, it's her problem. She stole the sunglasses. So just make sure you're sure. Um, and I think, you know, confront her on the side to see what's up. Yeah. You know, you could also double check with the original person and be like, Hey, look, we're, we have a cleaning person coming or whatever, you know, something like that. You're like, can you send me a picture of what the exact sunglasses look like? So that way you can match them up without having to ask your friend about what it was. I do think, too, for anyone that's had a rough night or two in their life, if this is not her tendency, if she doesn't normally steal shit, if she was hammered at your birthday party and she did something she doesn't normally do and it's totally out of character, um, I I would be a little more lenient of like, it hey, happens. like, yeah, it happens. I Again, I'm not endorsing it but let's be honest with ourselves here too and realize that people do some fucked up stuff when they're hammered and then it's like okay is this what you do do you always go to parties and get wasted and steal shit okay well then but if you don't i think there's a way to handle it too to be like hey i know you were super banged up but like did you grab those but the and weird part about it like though, go ahead is that she like she she almost wanted to get caught by the way that she, as you said, by the way that she like said, Hey, I could have been me. I don't know. Like, you know, whatever. It's almost like when you watch those like true crime things or whatever. And like there's a serial killer. And after a while they just get lazy because they want to get caught. Like they're leaving breadcrumbs here. And they're like, that's what this situation is. It's almost like she wants you to know that she actually did steal them, even though you can't actually pin her down on it. It's just, it's an odd, it's an odd dynamic. I didn't think we'd get to a serial killer comp there, but here we are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, I got another email here. This one is from Joseph, and he said, hey, huge LimeWire guy back in the day. Nice. Okay. Um, Kazaa. More of a Kazaa guy. Yep. And he said that at one point, he had the FBI reach out to him about copyright infringement 
and he's worried as he's applying for a new job. (laughs) (laughs) Is this something that stays on your record? Short answer, no. It happened to me. No. Wait, 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 wait. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, all right. How does how does one handle a copyright infringement accusation from the feds? Well, I tell you, my dad wasn't happy. I can tell you that much. All um, right, back up. Just start. <laughs> tell us. He play got, back the entire. He gave message. me. He gave me his old laptop. Uh, I think it was. I think I was in like ninth or tenth grade. He gave me uh, his old laptop, and he taught me how to burn CDs. That's it. He taught me how to burn CDs, and it had this cool little printer in the laptop that would like p- print out a little thing on the top of a CD. That's it. He was like, isn't this cool? You could make like mixtapes and CDs and stuff. So I start burning movies immediately. I start immediately getting blockbuster movies, burning them. Um, and I would pr- even printed out um, little um, like covers for DVDs. And my, one of my big ones was Pride and Glory. I thought Pride and Glory was a great movie. So I burned, I burned like 20 copies of Pride and Glory. And then I don't know, I was selling them in school. There's no way the FBI knew that. could know that, but I don't know. It just, there was a, a, a letter from the FBI that was like a basically a cease and desist. And my dad was like, I got to take your laptop from you. What the hell are you doing? So lost, lost the laptop for a little while, but um, yeah, no, the FBI, FBI sent a letter to the house and it was addressed to him, not me, I think. Um, so I don't know, just, I, I don't think it, anything ever came from that. So, so pride and glory almost brought down your family, a uh, Gavin O'Connor film, yeah, by the way, solid. Great, great bar fight uh, Colin scene. Colin Farrell? Yeah, Colin Farrell. Great bar fight scene in there. I tell you, Colin Farrell to me, stock could not be more mis- mispriced. It's just his, he's so good in that Northwater show that I don't know how many people saw on AMC, but it's worth the free AMC trial to watch Colin Farrell. Like, huh, I've been whoring all night and my whistle's dry. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the line? I don't, I don't know. know. He's, he's like really thirsty and he goes to a bar the next day and he doesn't have any money. And he's he spent the entire night with prostitutes. And then he's he's at the bar and he's trying to figure out a way to get a drink. And he is like he comes out his for the introduction to his character. He is throwing one hundred and five miles an hour on the on the on the paint. It's just. It's unbelievable. And and after the lobster too with Colin Farrell, I was okay. Okay, so all right, you get the letter. Were you unfazed or phased? I was phased. I was phased because I was like 15. I was like, wow, FBI knows who I am. I'm 15. That's crazy. Um, but I never stopped using like the other Limewire stuff, but it was specifically for the DVDs that I was making, that I was burning. And I don't know if it was because it was Blockbuster that they knew. I don't know how anybody knew. I have no idea. No idea how they do that. I was taking a CD, copying it onto another CD in in the privacy of my home. Honestly, I wonder if it was illegal. They were spying on me. But I really just, I don't know how it happened, but I was phased. And I was more phased by how freaked out my dad was. But nothing ever But it was never, it never came up again. I think it's just easier for them to send a thing to send a letter to someone. Yeah. That's what it is. Because I actually had a few guys get those. And because one of them, some one of my friends in high school was like selling bootleg Revenge of the Sith dvds and i got one and he got a letter but nothing ever came out of it um and i still have the dvd to this day it's awesome uh but i think movies are probably a bigger deal than music i think especially back then because with the money involved or whatever but i, I knew a couple people that got those letters and nothing ever came out of it 
guys are just calling out the feds left and right. <laughs> it's like having a camera that's not plugged in, right? It's cheaper to do that than actually have to wire everything up. System? Maybe yeah. it deters some people. So who knows? So you're saying it was never, it never came up in an interview with the parks, parks department in Poughkeepsie. Correct. Correct. <laughs> no, didn't stop me from getting the Models gig either. So the Models gig, youngest manager in the Northeast. That's what we're telling people. So, all right. So this guy doesn't, uh, don't worry, pal. You're fine. I don't know. If there was like never a step a two, I think if there was never a step two, you're fine. You should probably like stop doing it though. Like, you, you know, we should compare letters. I think I still have mine. We should compare letters, Here, see if it looks Here's what same. I would ask. I would ask this question though. Like in the eighties and nineties, if you were going to make a girl a mixtape on cassette, nobody looked at it that way. Nobody looked at it as like, cause there was an art of the mixtape too. And how you wanted to, you know, open, but you already had to buy middle. The- Right, you you had to buy the the cassette already, right? Or you could yeah, radio, it's right? The same, it's the same thing. Well, yeah, I mean, guys, guys recording off the radio. I mean, you know, it, it never quite came out the way you <laughs> wanted it to. Uh, you know, that was that was like very early on. Guys would hold up a recorder to the radio and record off the off the speaker that way, and then you'd play it. Like we did that in elementary school, thinking we were fucking killing it. That's how I used to get but my like, ringtones back in the day. Like, yeah, man, I got like six. Six songs from Thriller on this cassette right here. <laughs> this songs. is like six. Yeah, you can hear you, know. you talking in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> your mom's yelling at you to turn it down in the back. And you're like, all right, ignore that part. Um, yeah, but that was. Uh, I know you closed with Little Van Morrison for a mixtape. If you know you were interested in the Ferris X, so there you go. Uh, nice. Yeah, mood dance. I still kind of want to get back to you like pride and glory that much. You just needed to spread the word. Yeah, there was that. I thought it was great. And I was like, you know, I bet you a lot of people haven't seen this. And we, we were getting the blockbuster thing like in the mail when they were still competing with Netflix. So I was just like put and, and it wasn't only pride and glory, but I remember I made like 10 or 15 copies of pride and glory. Cause I was, I even like would print out the, uh, print out, print out the, the, the sheet and like put it in there and, and like make it all nice. And you weren't selling it? I was. Oh, you were. Okay. I just, yeah. I made like 15 <laughs> yeah, Pride and Glory and then say, I did some other right. ones. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. It was yeah, a bit of a hobby was, though. Okay. I enjoyed doing it. Wait, wasn't there something on, can we look this up? Was there any kind of tracking device on Blockbuster DVDs that they knew they were being put in a burner? So this is how it happens. Maybe that's how they got found out. I thought there was something to that, or it might have just been a scare tactic back in the day. Also, could it be that, too? Yeah. Do you believe that when Blockbuster, we see the documentary on Blockbuster going out of business, do you feel remotely guilty at all? Like, if I just, maybe five less pride and glories, they might still be around. <laughs> it could, could be. Honestly, I think it hurts the pride and glory people more than the Blockbuster people, probably, right? Yeah, I don't know. Well, uh, if anybody interviews, if Bill interviews Gavin O'Connor at some point, we'll be like, hey, did you be like, you know, our residuals on Pride and Glory were lower than our projections. New York Times had a thing in 2007. It's a sigh of relief for Blockbuster. Few people copy DVDs. A new study found that only 1% of internet users use software to defeat copy protection on DVDs. I did not use anything to defeat the copy protection. So maybe that's where, maybe that's where that letter came from. Straight shooter. Yeah. You should be, you should get a one percenter tattoo. <laughs> I think that covers it yeah. on today's podcast. <laughs> good. Uh, I'm good there. Life, life advice, rr at gmail.com. Thanks to Kyle and Steve, as always. And please subscribe. Ryan Russell Podcast for your Spotify. 
This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. 